0: Vaginas are absolute magic, and Ollie is here to give them the respect they deserve. That means shame free supplements made with clinically studied ingredients to keep your pH in check and your pleasure a priority. Put yourself on top. Go to Ollie.com today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Maruchan superfans are everywhere, from the busy moms who want to deliver maximum flavor in a flash to dorm room diners who want to put some slurp in their step. There are a ton of copycats you could use, but if you want to bless your bowl, there's only one true Maruchan. Whether you choose instant lunch, ramen bowls, yakisoba, or restaurant quality gold, Maruchan is the only ramen worth obsessing over. Smiles for all. Maruchan. See what all the ramen hype is about at maruchan.com. Hey guys, you're listening to Oh Crap Potty Training Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Glowacki. I am the author of Oh Crap Potty Training and Oh Crap I Have a Toddler. Today, I want to open with not a potty training story, but I'm living in the lap of luxury right now. So as you may or may not know, I have a two-year-old lab border collie mix named Maverick, and he is so cute, but he is the neediest little bugger you ever want to meet. <laughs> And I am opposed to people comparing fur babies to real babies when people say, oh, I know what it's like to have a kid. I have a puppy. You're like, "Mm, no, not the same. But my dog does carry some toddler energy. Mainly the minute I go to record a podcast or I get on the telephone, all of a sudden he needs me. (laughs) So. We also live in the woods. I live on seven acres and I'm surrounded by state trust. So my dog has never been on a a leash at home. He runs in the woods wild and always comes back and he's definitely feral, maybe not the most socialized dog, but he's, he's perfect for us. And during the summer, I had a magnetic door, you know, magnetic screen door. These things are awesome. And he could come and go as he pleased. Well, now it's wintertime and we took the magnetic door down and we have the aluminum door with a wood door. And, you know, he still wants to come and go as he pleases, but he does not know how to work the door yet. I'm sure he'll figure it out. (laughs) So... It's that needy toddler energy, yeah, that I can totally, I'm um, simpatico with you guys right now because it's like, you just, you go to sit down, have a cup of coffee and he needs you. You go to sit down to do a little bit of work and he needs you. So my solution is I board him. I bring him into daycare on Tuesday morning and I board him through Wednesday evening. So he stays overnight and it's just a nice break. And I know you guys probably don't have that break from your toddlers, so it's not the same, but uh, I get my work done. I get to record podcasts. And so I'm recording this on a Wednesday morning and Pascal got up at four in the morning to go um, with the DEM on a waterfowl hunt. So I don't have to make breakfast. I could get up and take my walk and journal and get my podcasts in line. And it is heaven. And I am constantly reminded, you know, Pascal is 16 and a half now and he got his driver's license and it's freaking ridiculously awesome. You know, he's definitely not Anywhere needy, but of course he's a presence and he is my son. And I have to, you know, make sure his homeschooling's on par and, you know, cook him breakfast and things like that. And just not having a kid or a dog is just the height of luxury. And so don't tell anybody we're going to keep this between ourselves because boy, do people get mad when you say this. But I don't know how people without kids are so busy. (laughs) It's like you don't understand like how much time you actually have. (laughs) So (laughs) when I hear, I have friends who don't have kids and like, Oh my God, I just can't. I'm so busy. And I'm like, doing what? Taking care of yourself. (laughs) Of course I'm joking and I'm being a little, uh, a little bitter, but it's so funny to me because I'm like, God, if I could go back in time before I had kids, I would have used my time so differently. I probably could have like, eight books and learn 10 languages and do three instruments. <laughs> so I'm reading this fantastic book. It's called uh, Indistractable. And it's about the forces behind why we get so distracted and how we lose focus. And what I love about it is the guy is not anti-tech. This is not just about your computer and your smartphone, but even without computers and smartphones, we'd still allow ourselves to be distracted. And he really teaches you how to break down your day and what might be behind so many of the distractions and why you can't focus or why it seems like you can't get something done. And I just love it because what I nailed right away is I was like, my dog, my dog is a freaking distraction. I can't get (laughs) a solid line of thought going when my dog is around. And so I'm sure you guys have the same thing. I'm telling you this so that you just, I think as parents, especially of young children, these are the brutal years and you just, it's a marathon. You're just on a a medium grade treadmill that you can't get off of. And I think sometimes we feel like unproductive. We feel disorganized. We feel lazy. We berate ourselves for not being able to get our shit together. And so I just thought it was worth mentioning because I want to give you guys a shout out. Having toddlers is hard and they are distracting. (laughs) And so Be gentle with yourself and know that it is these tender years. It will get better, I promise. All right. First and foremost, concerning potty training, I want to bring up something I've talked about in a couple of episodes, but I really want to dive deep because it's it's kind of ramping up. And I do have a correlation, I think, to the pandemic and just kind of being in such close quarters in lockdown and being anxious about the state of all things. (laughs) And so... The concept is a psychological term called enmeshment. And I'm going to read you the formal definition and then I'm going to, I'm going to parlay it to some things that are happening, particularly in potty training, but in parenting in general. So enmeshment is a concept in psychology to describe families where personal boundaries are diffused, subsystems are undifferentiated, and over concern for others leads to a loss of autonomous development. So autonomous development is sort of the crux of potty training. Your child can be autonomous, which means kind of on their own. And of course they're not on their own. They're toddlers. <laughs> but but that they're taking charge of their own body and they can have free will and choice and autonomy. They are in control of their own body and their own mind. It's a big deal. That's is what makes potty training a really big deal is that your child now can control their body functions. And potty training often leads to huge bursts in language, but it also leads to huge bursts in autonomous behavior. All of a sudden, your child now really can do for themselves, and that leads to all kinds of explosion and growth in their little personalities. I have also found that one of the biggest deals for us as parents in potty training is it is the first time that you are an active teacher. So it's the first time that you are teaching things in a defined order, a specific order with one desirable outcome. So prior to this, yeah, you've taught your child some certain things, right? But like if you're teaching them, you know, you're sitting down on the floor and you're stacking blocks there's not one desirable outcome. There are many outcomes and there are many ways to play with blocks, right? And if you're teaching your child how to use a spoon, you don't expect them. I mean, there is one desirable outcome of like spoon in the mouth, but you know, there's a learning curve. There's going to be food on the floor. There's going to be food on their face. They're going to put the spoon down and use their fingers. But potty training, there really is only one desirable outcome, pee and poop in the potty. And so what happens is we are now confronted with we are the teachers. Other than this, you know, you never think about you're on the floor with your kid. You're not teaching them how to make a a tower with the blocks. You're playing with them and they might be modeling you, right? This is the first time where you are the teacher. And so if your kid struggles, we as parents tend to take this on too strongly because, well, if our kid struggles, clearly I'm the one messing it up, right? If I'm the teacher and my kid isn't doing the learning. I'm the problem. But that's not necessarily true. Your child can struggle in all different kinds of areas. And you will see this as they grow through childhood. Unfortunately, potty training is the first time you might be confronted with this notion. And that is what makes it more emotionally volatile for us, the parents. But one of the things I'm finding is on top of that, we as a culture Now, so much of it is social media and people presenting their perfect lives on social media and us thinking that's what our lives should look like. But there's an over identification. I think there's other cultural things. I think we now have to justify being moms. I think a generation ago, especially stay at home moms, a generation ago, you stayed home with your kids. That's what you did. You know, it was really rare in my time, daycares were few and far between. Like Most moms stay at home with their kids, largely speaking. I know there's always outliers. And so I think now when we stay home with our kids, what I'm seeing on social media is I'm seeing almost like a a justification that you're staying home with your kids or you're staying home to raise your children. And you don't need to justify that, right? And there is an over-identification with our kids. I just did a great side-by-side with Sarah of Joyful Toddler Parenting. And we have an interview over on my other podcast. And she had this amazing reel. If you go to my Instagram, you can see I did a side-by-side. Her whole reel was about how proud she was that her kid had a tantrum. And you were like, what? And she was like, I was proud because I don't base my self-worth as a parent on my child's behavior. I base my self-worth as a parent on my behavior. When we're over-identifying as parents, then our kids' behavior become a reflection of us. And that's not true, especially in the toddler years. Now when you when you get a 20-year-old who is struggling, then that might be a reflection on your parenting and you do have to do some reflection. But 2 and 3-year-olds are freaking maniacs. They're volatile. <laughs> They're new. Their skin is inside out. Their feelings are huge. It's a big deal. But we can't over-identify with that because otherwise we'd be up and down on the emotional roller coaster. And what I'm finding is a lot of this enmeshment, which is parents getting too over-identified with the child or the child with the parent. And two red flags. I was working with a client and she said, my son, he woke up, he was in a fine mood. Then we went to the potty and we had a poop and then we were fine. Do you hear the language shift in that? So she started off saying her son, he, he got out of bed, he, and then it really switched over to we, we went to the potty, we had a poop, and then we were fine. It's not deep psychological anything, but this is a red flag because we didn't poop. He pooped. Yeah. He felt better. He went to the potty. And I know this can get like the language with our kids sometimes gets confusing because of course. You know, you both might have gone to the potty, right? Like we motivated to the, to the bathroom to go to the potty, but we pooped. We had a nap. So be cautious in your language. It's a subtle shift but it is indicative of some enmeshment that you're too in the process. And remember the funny thing about enmeshment is that it leads to a loss of autonomous development. So what I find very interesting is this comes up a lot with somebody who's struggling with the child going potty on their own and they're using this we language, right? So you want to be really cautious of that and you want to make sure you're not too involved. You are the teacher. Yes, you are leading the show, but you're not pooping with your child. So this also leads to something I've talked about before, which is when parents contact me and they're using words like devastated. I'm on the third day of potty training and he's having accidents and I'm devastated. Number one, three days into potty training, you're still collecting data. That is not accidents. Usually that's still learning. Number two, Two, you can't be devastated, not three days in. And we want to always, no matter what our kids are going through, we want to unhook the emotionality. We can't latch onto their behavior because that's like getting onto a roller coaster to a crazy house. (laughs) You you will go up and down. Think of how volatile your toddler's emotions are because they don't know how to self-regulate. They don't know how to calm themselves. They don't have any logic. They don't have prefrontal cortex development yet, Yes. We do. And so if we attach ourselves emotionally to our toddler's emotions, then their emotions are leading the show and it's not going to go anywhere pretty. Another way that I see enmeshment happening, particularly to potty training, is saying things like, well, I'm just sad. I'm sad that you had an accident. I'm sad that you didn't put your pee in the potty. And then your child might reflect back and say, Mommy, you happy? Mommy, I pee. You happy? oh, mommy, I pee my pants. you sad. We cannot put our children in charge of our emotions. And that's what happens. So don't ever say the words, you make me angry. You make me happy. You make me sad. We want to differentiate. We want to say, your behavior has upset me. Your behavior has made me cranky, something like that. But if we put happy, sad, and angry on our children, then they feel responsible for our emotions. That also leads to loss of autonomous development, okay? That's loose boundaries. That's putting a child in charge of your emotions. And none of us mean to do that, of course, right? But we don't want our child feeling like they have the ability to make us happy or sad. You may feel like they're making you happy or sad. But the reality is nobody controls your emotions, but you, even the biggest, fattest jerks in the world who are like "Mm," the meanest people, you are in charge of your regulation. You are in charge of your emotion. And they can certainly put a roadblock in front of your emotion so that you're like, "Mm -hmm." but they didn't make you anything. And that's like a a really kind of hard, complicated truth. But when we're talking about our kids, we don't want that enmeshment. We want very clear boundaries. This is me, this is you. And remember, between two and three, and this is why potty training after three can be so difficult for some people, right around three, give or take a few months, the children go through that process of individuation. And that is when they realize they're separate from you. So before that, they don't realize they're separate from you. They end up thinking, you know, like if they bonk their head, they think you feel the pain. So it's really important When your child's an infant, that enmeshment is almost needed. You're so tightly bonded because of the child needing you so desperately the fourth trimester, right? Like our kids can't make it on their own at all when they're infants. And so we do have that, like we're one. And then when they are right around potty training age, we really want to differentiate. We really, you, this is you, and this is me and we do things together, but this is you and this is me, because that enmeshment can make things really sticky, can lead to bigger problems later on, but it also can make things sticky in the potty training process when you're trying to get your child to be autonomous, and we're not allowing them autonomy, yeah? And again, we just don't ever want our children locked into our emotions and feeling like they're responsible for our emotions or that they can control our emotions. Because that is, we do run into some sticky problems when that happens. One thing that can happen with toddlers is if they know they're making you angry, they can and will use that against you in a court of law. (laughs) I call it the mommy Miranda rights. You're giving them a sort of loaded gun to shoot at you, right? It's like if they know something angers you, then they're going to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You pissed me off. Watch this. I can piss you off. So we don't want to give them that kind of power, but we also just don't want to give them power of emotions. It's, it's too, it's too much. Okay. I wanted to answer a couple of questions and I will start with, Hey, we are on day five of block one and we aren't seeing much progress with our 24 month old. He seems pretty clueless. He's not withholding, but there's very little recognition that he has wet himself. If I don't catch him mid-flow and pin him down, then we would never have caught a drop. He stands up as soon as he sits down mid-flow. My husband wants a reset, but I'm determined to keep cracking on with the learning. And how long should we reset for? A month or a few months? I know he can do it given more time, but I don't have the support from my husband or daycare at this point. They said he wet through five pairs of pants before nap time. I'm taking this because there's a little bit of a lot of things in here. (laughs) A little bit of a lot. So number one, you're on day five of block one and he's already in pants and he's at daycare. So you're not on block one. He hasn't solidified block one. So if he's 24 months old, he's wetting himself, which indicates to me that there are pants on. He's already back at daycare with pants. Then the whole system is not what I recommend. Yeah. So you're not on block one. He's already got clothes on and he's already back out of the house. So block one is no clothes and sticking close to home. And day five is pretty darn early to be back at daycare with pants on. So do I think he needs more time? 100%. But he's not going to learn if he's just peeing himself at daycare. So. That's why I say string together as many days as you can at home. So I don't know how many days you had at home with him. If it's day five and he's back at daycare, I'm assuming you had four days. So clearly that wasn't enough time. That isn't enough time to go back to daycare. Not for a 21 month old. I don't think he's clueless. I have never found a 24 month old who is clueless. Absolutely clueless. Absolutely clueless tends to be under 20 months. Other than that, there there can be like a learning glitch or the child just might need some more time. But it sounds to me like this kid didn't have enough time to run through block one and block two, block three, and then get to leave the house, right? So it just does sound like the process was rushed too much. And of course, questions are hard because I can't go back and forth. The other thing is you can keep cracking at it, but I, I don't always recommend just keep cracking at it. So I call myself a real life potty trainer because I'm not about your kid being potty trained at all costs. And this is one of those situations. Like, So he's in daycare. I don't know if that's full-time or part-time, which leads me to believe that you're both working outside the home. So then you're going to keep cracking at potty training when he gets home from daycare and on the weekends, which doesn't sound fun. He's going to go back to daycare, which yeah, daycare is going to completely throw him for a loop. So he's not going to make progress there. Like you're at a stalemate. And if you don't have support of your spouse and your child's other caregiver, this is an uphill battle. So I would not keep cracking at the learning. I would absolutely do a reset. When we do a reset, I always think what will change, right? So I don't ever want to do a reset Just because we do resets because of life circumstances. We do resets when we, the parents are totally strung out and we do resets when it's just kind of a cluster and we don't know what to do and we just kind of need a blank slate. But I always say what's going to be different. So in this case, I would absolutely say what has to be different is a little more days of learning. So I would base the reset on when is the next vacation? Is it February vacation? When do you have more than three or four days where you can not necessarily just stay close to home, but you can have a more flexible schedule. Daycare is a huge leap. It is a huge leap. And if you only give your child a couple of days and go back to daycare, it's 100% going to fail. It really will. I don't see any kids who can handle just a couple of days and then go back to daycare. So it always works best on a vacation or you know, if you could take a couple of days off, that kind of scenario. That's how I would handle that. Regardless, you guys, if you don't have Support from your spouse and from another major caregiver. You can't do this. And I know that's it. Sometimes it's terrible because you might end up with a four year old, but your spouse takes part in the caregiving, of course, and the caregiver takes part in the caregiving. And so if the child has, you know, let's say that's two out of three caregivers, you can't do this by yourself. Because then you're fighting this huge uphill battle. It's going to create friction with your spouse. Your spouse isn't going to agree with you. It's probably going to get in your way now because you guys are at odds. And then the caregiver is not going to be helpful at all either. So it really does, though, seem to me that, again, I don't have all that much information. But for 24 months old to be on day five, that's not block one. And he's already back to daycare. It seems to me that's where the glitch is. Okay. Now, let's... Let's see. Next question. We followed all your advice and successfully trained our grandson. I bought the book for my daughter and her husband, and it worked. He even sleeps through the night with no accidents. He is now three and a half, and it is the last few months he's starting to pee his pants and not care, but only at home, not at my house, the grandparents. My daughter has tried taking pants away, even back to commando, but nothing is working. We know he can do it as he goes potty at the grandparents. I look after him three times a week. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Okay. So when we are looking at accidents and this goes for accidents or any sort of behavior, right? Cause I get a lot of kids who are like wild right now, like kind of crazy, can't handle the classroom atmosphere, but then they're fine at home and they can play quietly with a couple of friends. Well, then we look at that. It's the situation, right? It's not that this kid may have a diagnosis or something like that. If a kid can do something in one scenario, but not in the other scenario, then the kid can do it. And it's what's happening in this one particular scenario. So I would ask this grandma, what are you guys doing? That's different than at home. So typically... I find in these scenarios, especially since you guys kind of spearheaded the potty training process as grandparents, I find that you're probably the kind of grandparents who are no nonsense. You probably have really good boundaries. Shit doesn't fly at your house. My mom was like that. She listened to everything that I wanted done. You know, she was very, she wanted to do things right by my standards, but she also, my mom had never messed around with any of the grandkids. You sit at the table to eat. Like she didn't, she didn't play. And so you strike me as that kind of grandparent. Yes. This, Child probably knows he can't get away with things. When a kid starts wetting their pants after being well potty trained, that is not a potty training issue. That's a behavior issue. I would check in. Now, there's nothing else to check in because if he were having accidents all over the place, I'd say check in with maybe a UTI, which is not very common in boys, but it can happen and that can be responsible for accidents. I would check for sickness or, you know, any teeth coming in, anything like that. How's the sleep? But because it's consistently happening at home and not at daycare or the grandparents, it's obviously home. There's something going on at home. So I would check in with boundaries. I would check in with, is the child getting good connection? Because sometimes we get stuck in a negative feedback loop with accidents. So if he is having accidents at home and everybody stops to change the pants and, oh my goodness, Johnny, you're not supposed to pee your pants. You know pee goes on the potty. Come on, let's go change your pants. That is a lot of focused attention. Yes. And what happens with working parents is we often think that we're giving our kids all the attention because everything we do is for these kids, but they're not connecting with us one-on-one. So they're going to get connection any way they can through negative or positive behavior. And so sometimes with potty training, this whole accident feedback loop creates this negative feedback, but the kid is still getting feedback. The kid is still getting very concentrated parental energy, parental focus, and it suits them. It also can sometimes be like a little bit of laziness, like if the parents are doing too much for the child, sometimes the child slips into this like the subconscious thinking of like, eh, mom's got this, mom's got this. So those are the things I would check in with. Is the child getting really solid one-on-one connection and again, understandable If he's not, because it's a cluster, you get home from work, you pick the kid up from the grandparents, you got to get dinner on the table. Then it's bedtime, then it's, you know, stories and all these things. So it's, it's very truncated and it's very clustery at the end of the day, but it's understandable, but the parents have to make time for that connection point. And then is the kid doing enough for himself? Does he feel like a big kid around the house? Does he get his own water when he's thirsty? Does he help in the kitchen? Does he do some chores, you know, light chores, laundry in the basket, make the bed, that kind of thing because then that will contribute also. And then what I would do in the interim is not just commando, commando is pants with no underpants. I would take his pants off, just off, keep them off because he shouldn't wet himself then. Sometimes they might have an accident and then it just almost becomes a lazy learning kind of thing. And they're like, eh, they just kind of forget about it or they start to dribble and then they fully pee. So I would just go back to block one when they get home and that should take care of all the things. I'll close on this. I wanted to mention this because I just talked to a client about this. When we have both parents working outside the home, again, nighttime is crazy. You might be getting home at 4.30, 5 o'clock. Everything has to happen so, so fast that your child hasn't connected with you. And so oftentimes what this looks like is a stalling at bedtime or an inability to calm themselves down at bedtime. And so it's really vital when you get home with your children from daycare, the top priority is not only food, but big play. Wrestling, roughhousing, outside, trampoline, whatever you do for big play, get that energy out when you get home so then the child can have dinner. And then after dinner, we wanna do low lights. So particularly in the winter, you might have candlelight, no overhead lighting, twinkle lights, night lights, candlelight, because what happens is in the wintertime, melatonin's released when the sun goes down. Because we're in winter, at least I'm in dead of winter here in New England, even though we've hit the solstice already, still the sun sets pretty early. So there's a dip in energy as the melatonin's released with the sun. Now what happens is because of artificial lighting, we artificially get ourselves amped up again. And now what also happens is when your child is ready for bed, they are finally decompressing for the night, fully decompressing from their day. And now they have you and they have your attention you're exhausted. You just want to read your freaking three stories and get out of the room. (laughs) I get that. But this is the one time your child has one-on-one attention. This is when they tend to get goofy, silly. They want to make the most of this and they might stall bedtime. So with low lighting, you read your stories, you sing your song, and then spend 10 or 15 minutes, build this into the bedtime routine where you are connecting with your child, asking them maybe how their day was You can't ask a toddler how their day was. You have to say, what was your favorite part about today? Who did you eat lunch with? Who was your best friend? What's your favorite color today? Kids love favorite questions. What's your favorite dinosaur? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite shape? What's your favorite number? These things, right? But solid connection, kid on your lap, lots of hugs, lots of compression, and this will help your child wind down, yeah? And this is a great connecting point going back to this question, when you're a busy parent, this is a great time to get that connection for your kid so that they feel your love. It's vital that we connect with our kids at least 15 minutes a day, uninterrupted, locking eyes, super high touch, because again, we forget we do everything for our kids, everything. And we forget that that doesn't equal connection. It doesn't fill their emotional cup. And then what happens is we do get stuck in these negative patterns, these negative feedback loops, which is this. Anytime you find yourself like saying the same thing, like I asked you not to do that. Chances are you're stuck in a negative feedback loop. Your child knows that they're not supposed to do it, but it gets your attention and it gets focused connection, even though it's negative. So yeah, those are my answers. (laughs) It is hard to tell, though, but I will say this. When something is happening at home, but it's not happening anywhere else, you have to look at what is happening in those other places compared to home. There's a direct correlation there. Something is going on at home that isn't happening. And again, I tend to think in this situation, I think it's boundaries. I think probably grandma sounds very no-nonsense, and I think parents get home, they're exhausted, and things kind of just go loosey-goosey. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. As always, log on.